Guys, we're going to gather around God's word. Uh, we do this every time we're together. Uh, God's word is central to who we are, uh, and so we gather around it, and not just as principles for life, but it's, it's the story of God and how he has uh, journeyed alongside humanity and continues to do so. Uh, and so, kids, I think you're going to head out. I've suddenly forgotten that we do that because uh, we haven't done it for so long. Cara, my wife, is looking at me going, kids are going out. So if kids, you want to head out, uh, then you are going to go through this room and uh, you'll be coming back in around 20, 25 minutes. <laughs> no laughing. Stop laughing. <laughs> Stop laughing. Those that are laughing, if you're visiting, then it's great to have you with us. But we're trying to preach a little bit shorter than I used to. So the three hours that it used to be, we're trying to cut it down to 25 minutes. Um, so try and find Joshua too while the kids are heading out. Uh, God, we just pray that you would just, uh, just be present with our kids as much as you are in here. Lord, as they go out, they're not separate from us, but they're just learning some stuff about you in a context that's suitable for them and that they can engage with. So God, will you just engage with them this morning as you engage with us and stir our hearts as a community together uh, for your glory. Amen. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2. Uh, while you're finding it, let me just remind you that Joshua is now the leader of the people of God, of Israel. They are on the brink of crossing over. So they've been uh, hundreds of years waiting since that promise that God gave Abraham uh, and then 40 years wandering in the wilderness uh, waiting for this moment to cross over and Joshua is now the leader taken over from Moses. He's now the leader that finds himself on the, the parapet, the precipice of stepping into the fullness of what God had promised them. Um, can you imagine being that leader? Can you imagine being stood there with all of that history and thinking, man, this is where we've come from. This is where it's been building to. And you look and everything that's in front of you just seems impossible. Have you ever had that experience when everything that around you just seems impossible to navigate? Completely confused by what you see beyond our ability. As a church, some of the stuff that I'm going to speak into a little bit more this morning, it's beyond our ability. It's beyond our ability to resource. It's beyond our ability to, to have numbers of people to get it happening. But we stand there and we say, God, we're in a place where without you, this is impossible. And that's where the people of faith are always called to live. If we could live in a place where we didn't need faith, then we wouldn't need to be a people of faith. But instead, we're called to be a people like a Joshua generation that stand there saying, what we see before us seems beyond our ability. And so what we see is Joshua calls two spies and he says, we're going to go and scout out the land. And I want to call this message scouting out the land, that we've got some permission from God to start stepping into some stuff. See, when, when God starts speaking to Joshua, uh, some commentators say with, with Joshua too that actually God never tells Joshua to send two spies out to look out the land, that it's not God that's told him to do it. That doesn't mean that Joshua is in disobedience it just means he's using some initiative. You know, when God invites us into some stuff, we don't always have to wait around for thus said the Lord. That actually he gives us a freedom to say, we can start to explore some stuff. We can start to say, God, I'm going to push some doors. I'm not waiting for you to part the Red Sea. We're going to go and start stepping in stuff and see where you are. And that's what we see with Joshua chapter 2. So let me read. Uh, we're just going to work through it, uh, not verse by verse, but the last couple of weeks we've been looking at Rahab. So we're going to look at Joshua 2 from the perspective of the spies. And so let me just read verse 1. It says, Joshua the son of Nun secretly, shh, secretly, it's a secret. He secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove. 
Some of you are laughing because I've changed the translation. Because <laughs> I'm a little bit tired of saying the name of the place in other translations. So we're calling it Acacia Grove this week because we're talking about spies, not prostitutes. <laughs> maybe, maybe Joshua has learnt. Maybe Joshua has learnt from Moses. Moses previously had already sent in 12 spies into this land. And he said, go and spy out the whole land from the north to the south. Spend 40 days in there. And if you look in Numbers 13, all the names of the spies are listed it's not a great school one-of-one for, for spy school. You know, let's name all the spies, tell them where they're going, tell them how long they're going for. But that's what we read in Numbers 13. Maybe, maybe, Mose, uh, maybe Joshua has learnt in this moment. Because what happens with Moses is the 12 spies return. Joshua's one of those 12 spies. Some 39 years before this moment. And uh, 10 of them give a negative report. 10 of them say the land will devour us. The people are like giants. We cannot do this. And so Moses just sends in two. Maybe, maybe, Moses, maybe Joshua sorry, has learnt from Moses as he secretly sends two spies. So I think here he's, secret, he's keeping it a secret from the other tribes, the people of God. They don't know that these spies are going in. He's saying, go in secretly into the land. This is a secret. You know, sometimes we don't need to tell everybody everything. We don't need to tell everybody everything that's going on in our life. We don't need to tell everybody everything that we sense God is stirring or saying to us. The amount of times I hear people say, one week it's God has said this. The next week, God has said this, but it was different to that, but he said something, God has said, and we start spilling out and say, God has said, God has, and I'm not saying God hasn't said it, but what are you doing about the first thing God said? Sometimes we need to sit with some stuff and not just tell everybody. Joshua keeps this secret. We live in a world that promotes absolutely everything. Can I have my devotional time? All right, here's a moment. Have a nice little table, got my Bible out, got my journal, put a few extra notes in, just so everybody thinks I use it. Highlight a few extra chapters so people think I read it. Nice little pot plant, gives a nice little illusion of life. And let's photograph it. And let's put it up on social media for the world to see. I'm not knocking it. If you want to do it, do it. I'm just saying some things perhaps we need to keep secret. Do you have a secret place with God? Jesus spoke about that in, in Matthew. I think it's Matthew 25, 26. He says, uh, when you pray, pray in secret. It's Matthew 6, sorry. When you pray, pray in secret. Jesus would go and have these secret times with God. Have you got a secret place with God? You know, I'm married to Cara. We've got secrets. Believe it or not, stuff that none of you guys know. That's just between the two of us because we're in relationship. There's some things that we need to have with God that we just carry and let him form in us. A secret place with God. Secrets between me and God that I carry. For years, there was a spiritual discipline called secrecy. Do you know what that was about? It's about the people of God saying, do you know what, there's some stuff we're going to do that's just between me and God, so my need for recognition can die. There's a challenge. See, we live in a world that desires recognition, desires promotion. I need everybody to see the best of me. But actually, the people of God, we're called to, to this place of secrecy where our need for recognition, our need for affirmation will die, where we're not just reading God's word so we can get a nugget, so we can share it with someone to prove how much we know and how much wisdom we've got. But actually, there's a secret place. That's just for me, God, and you. See, Joshua secretly, there's some secrets in Joshua's life. There's some secrets in the things he does. Secretly sent two men as spies out to scout, go and scout out the land, especially Jericho. Especially Jericho. Especially Jericho. 39 years before, Moses had sent the 12 spies and he said, go from the north to the south. Here's all the land. Go and spy out all the land. But Joshua tells these spies, see that thing that's right in front of you? Go and focus on that. 
See, as we step into the inheritance, as we step into the fullness of what God has for us, as he starts to reveal things in your life, in the life of this church, it can be overwhelming, can't it? Have you ever been overwhelmed with all the stuff, like, I've got this to do, I've got that to do, God, you're challenging me on this, and then there's that over there, and there's so much going on, I can't cope, I'm overwhelmed. There's a point at which Joshua says to the spies, yep, there's all that land, all of it, and God's, God's calling us to have all of that land, but I want you to focus on Jericho. I want you to focus on that which is right in front of you. See, we can be so focused on the next 14 steps that we don't even take the one that's right in front of us. For us to step into our inheritance, it requires us to take a step. For us to be the church that God is calling us to be in Stratford-on-Avon and wherever it is that you're from, if you're visiting us, to be the person that God is calling you to be, it requires you to take a step of faith. Not to be overwhelmed by the days that are ahead of us, but just faithfully step into that which is right in front of us. It's like me, if I... If I go on a journey and I, I take a, a sat-nav, I use my phone as a sat-nav, starting in Stratford, I'm going to type in Glasgow, Glasgow, hit, and it plots the route. I'm looking at it, and it, you know that little map that it gives you as an overview? You're looking at me like I'm a foreign object. You know, do we know sat-navs, yeah? Satellite navigation systems. You use them to help your journey to places. And it gives you this, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to spell it out. It gives you this little map as an overview at the start and you can look at it and it tells you the full route. Well, I'm looking at that and I'm going, uh, right, toll road, no toll, no toll road. M5, uh, M6, M1. Five and a half hours this way, six hours that way. It's longer in time, but it's short in miles. I don't understand how that works. Does it use less fuel? Does it not use, I don't know. I don't know what to do anymore. I'm still in Stratford and I want to get to Glasgow and I've not gone anywhere and I'm completely confused. And I haven't even turned the engine on yet. See, we can be looking so much at the journey ahead of us of everything else that's before us that we don't even faithfully do that which is right in front of us. Joshua says, especially Jericho. See, as a church, the vision that we're setting is that we're going to be a family that steps into the story of God for the sake of Stratford, that God is working alongside humanity, partnering with humanity, calling us to be his people, display his kingdom on the earth, and it's still happening now. And the vision that we carry is how do we reach the 130,000 people that live in our district? In Stratford-on-Avon, the wider region of 130,000 people. We just sense God is inviting us to say, just step into it. Just start being communities of people that are going to seek to reach the spaces and the places that you live. And so hopefully you're beginning to hear the phrase gospel communities. These communities of people that we're just going to start with three. 130,000 people. Let's start with what we can do. God's already stirring something. Let's start with three. That's what we've got. In Tiddington, in Stratford, in Ulster. Let's just start. Communities of between 10, 30, 40 people gathering together, committing to live this gospel life. Committed to each other and committed to the life that, that Jesus is calling us to live. A life in community and a life on mission. Seeking to be disciples that make disciples. The vision is that one day we might dare to believe we have 130 of these groups meeting in Stratford-on-Avon. Coming together to celebrate all that God's doing 130 because we could have one for every thousand people in our district. Wouldn't that be incredible? You know, I stand there and I go, woo, how the heck are we going to do that? We're not going to do it alone, I'm convinced of that. But how? How's that? I can get overwhelmed. I share vision and it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm doubting myself. It's like, I mean, without being rude, but look around. I mean that with all politeness. You can, you're looking at me. Look at me. The one who's casting the vision. I'm thinking, what? How do we do that? So we can be so tempted to look at the next 14 steps. We don't just faithfully do what's right in front of us. 
as a church within our own lives. Jericho, that's what you've got to deal with. And so Joshua spends, sends these spies and he says, start with what's right in front of you. Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly spent, sent two men as spies saying, go and scout out the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stayed there. Now, I'm not going to dwell too much on this because the last couple of weeks we've looked at Rahab. And so if you've missed it, I'd encourage you to listen, watch online. Um, I'm not going to repeat those things. But from the spy's perspective, let's just jump to the spy's perspective of this moment. What are they doing? They're going into this new land and they go to the home of a prostitute. You know, the writer of this, a number of commentators say that, that Joshua chapter 2 is not integral to the story of Joshua. I think it's vital for the story of God through humanity, which we've explored, but to the story of Joshua, they say it doesn't really need to be in there. It'd be so easy to remove the uncomfortable, isn't it? So that, that which doesn't kind of, isn't palatable. God, God, this is a prostitute. And then these spies have gone to the home of. Let's just, let's just cross that out, shall we? Let's just pretend that never happened. Let's just move on to chapter three, crossing over, glory to God. We go through that, hallelujah, amen. But no, the, 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 the reason that it's kept in here is because actually, there's something happening in this moment that is integral to the story. That sometimes God allows that which is questionable, that which is, God, you shouldn't, you wouldn't, you couldn't, because he's doing something. See, God uses the ones we consider the least in order to reveal what we need the most. God will use the ones we consider the least in order to reveal what we need the most. And that's what he does here with Rahab. God uses this prostitute to help these spies. And through Rahab, we see a kingdom established. Worship starts to flow. We start to see generations transformed, but it required the spies to move towards the least, to move towards the ones they despise. See, sometimes we need to move towards the ones we think are beyond grace in order to see and realize just how far God's grace can go. God will use the ones we consider the least in order to reveal what we need the most. Jesus says it in Matthew 25. He's giving a story about the kingdom. He's saying this is how the kingdom of God works. This is, what, this is what it looks like. And he talks about those that will inherit the kingdom of God, that will experience the fullness of what God has for them. And in verse 33 of Matthew 25, he says, he will put, he's using this image of goats and sheep to the kingdom of God. And he says, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. That some of you are going to receive your inheritance. And then he goes on and says, For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then some say, hang on a second, we never saw you like that. If we'd have seen you like that, we'd have helped you. We never saw you hungry. We never saw you thirsty. And Jesus goes on, he says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. God will use the ones we consider the least in order to reveal what we need the most. He reveals himself through the very ones that we want to avoid. So church, as we step in, as we start to see what this land looks like that's before us, that God's inviting us to step into, who are your least? Who are your least? Now we read Matthew 25 and I think, it's the poor, the, the hungry, the ones who are naked, the ones that need clothing. And I can read that and go, that's fine, that's comfortable for me because do you know what? I, I, can, I can show grace and love to the poor. 
because they're poor. I've got some clothes. There you go, have some clothes. I, I can give something to the food bank. There we go. Tick that box. Given to the least. That's good. So when, when Jesus calls me to account, I can go, look, fed them. It's all sorted. I'm, ha- I'm good. It's good between you and me. Thank you. But who are your least? Who are the ones that you consider the least? Who are the ones that I struggle to stoop down and serve and love like I do Jesus? Those who hold a different theological position, a part of a different church, they don't hold to what I hold to. The ones that have adopted a lifestyle that we struggle with. Maybe the ones that should know better and give the illusion that they've got all the answers and their life is together and make everybody else feel that big. Who are the ones that you consider the least? If we want to move beyond being spectators to being inheritors of all that God has for us, it means allowing God to move us into people and places that we find least appealing. It means we move away from that which is comfortable towards that which is uncomfortable. For Jesus, he moved away from those that found life comfortable and he moved to the ones that made it uncomfortable, the margins of society, the tax collectors and sinners, the frauds and the filthy. And he moved towards them and the religious said, hang on a minute, we don't like this. This this isn't how it works. Don't you know, Jesus, we're respectable followers of God. This This is what it looks like for us. This is who we'll mix with. We don't mix with them. We've got it all sorted here. We've got to make this look as nice and neat and holy as possible. This is our lane and we're going to stick in it. And I think God would say, if that's your lane and you want to stick in it, then fine, stick in it. But if you want to step into something, if you want to find me in unexpected places and realize that there's no boundaries to my love, then actually we need to leave those boundaries behind. I think Joshua 2 demands that we reorientate our view of who God is and how he works. The boundaries we put around how God works and who he will use, Joshua 2 says throw that in the bin because God will use who God wants to use in a way that he wants to use them. And we can be part of it or we can reject it. We can step into it or we can step away from it. And here we see that God uses this heathen to help these spies. Actually, these spies are pretty useless without Rahab. So they're meant to have gone in and spied out the land. They've done a pretty bad job of that because the king already knows because the king hears that the men are in the land and sends people to Rahab's home. So they've done a pretty poor job of that. They've already been found out. And they need Rahab to lie to the king's men to send them in the other direction. They're upstairs hiding. And then Rahab sends them off in the opposite direction and says, right, you go stay there there for three days because then these guys will have come back and then you'll be free to escape. Really good spying going on there. God uses this woman to help these spies. And so these spies, they're hiding up on Rahab's roof. And let's just pick up verse eight. It says, before the men fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, now we've read this from Rahab's perspective, just look at it from the spy's perspective. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and every one of you who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shine and Og and the two Amorite kings and you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Do you see what's happening? So we've explored salvation and, and what that journey looks like for Rahab. But for here, these spies, these spies have come in to scout out the land. And what they find is that Rahab gives the reality of their enemy. For 40 years, God's people have not stepped into the land because the 12 spies that Moses sent, 10 of them came back and said, there's no way we can have that land. They're giants and the land devours people. And what they didn't realize was 
for 40 years, the enemy that has had them paralyzed has been more fearful of them than they realized. For 40 years, they've been retelling the story. You know, those people that are out there, their God helped them get through the Red Sea. Their, their God has gone before them in, in, in Shion and Og. Their God is the one that destroyed the, the Egyptian army. Their God, and they didn't realize. See, sometimes we can be so frightened of the enemy, we don't realize the enemy is already a defeated foe. We can be so frightened of that which stands against us because we see it big and powerful and we think, oh my goodness, there's no way. And yet God says, I'm bigger. God was with his people. As they stepped out, the enemy that was before them was already a defeated foe. Can I tell you, the enemy that is before you is already a defeated foe. I don't give much airtime to the enemy. But what I will say is a defeated foe. It's not like we've got one devil on one side and a God on the other side and they're equal and they whisper in your ear and you try and compete. That's the days of Disney. We have a God who is more powerful. We have a God who in Jesus was hung on that cross and every sin, past, present and future that you have ever committed and will ever commit was poured out on him and in that moment he is there. The one who knew no sin took on all of your error and wrong, put it upon himself And do you know what he says in that moment? What the scriptures tell us? What's he cry out? It is finished. Do you know what it means in the original language? Correct. Well done. You all know some Greek. Aramaic. It's finished. It's finished. means it's done. It's finished. The enemy might seem big and powerful, but in light of who God is, the enemy crumbles because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because of who Jesus is, we can stand here and we can say the lies and the stuff the enemy tells me, the things the enemy tells me that disqualify me, he's already a defeated foe and he doesn't get the right to tell me those things. So I can step into the fullness of who God is calling me to be because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so Rahab gives the spies what they come for and she's now a defector. She gives the spies all the information. She says, the enemy are fearful of you. They're crumbling in fear because before God, the enemy crumbles. And she sends them on their way and they go and hide for three days and then they come back to Joshua. In verse 23, and this is where I want to draw things to a close, it says in verse 23, then the men returned, came down from the hill country and crossed the Jordan. They went to Joshua, the son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in this land is also panicking because of us. How much does that contrast 39 years before? 39 years before, 12 spies go out. Joshua was one of them and Caleb, they come back. Those two say, yeah, we can do it. Come on. They had eyes of faith. But for the other 10, they had eyes of fear. And in in Numbers 13, let me just read to you the report. Numbers 13, verse 32, it says, the land we passed through, this is the the report from the 10 that Moses sent that came back and said, there's no way. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants and all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim, they're giants. We've got the same land, the same people some 39 years previously, but they're too powerful for us. They're too big for us. There's no way we can step into it. Can you relate? You've got giants in your land that impose over you, that make you feel small and insignificant, seem way too much to overcome in your strength, fear, anxiety, the worry of what might be. These massive giants in people's lives in the world 
as a church to reach the 130,000 people that they would encounter Jesus. It's too much. It's too much for me. I'm too small. I'm too broken. I'm too weak. It's what the 10 spies concluded. The 10 spies concluded, and listen to the words they say in verse 33. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. These giants are too much for us. There is no way we can do anything. Can you see what's happened? In the midst of their brokenness and what they've been through and their own sin, they look at the enemy and say, there's no way we can do this. But the, the, the problem is with these spies that, Josh, that Moses sent out is that they've got caught up comparing themselves to the giants. We can so easily get caught up comparing ourselves to the things that stand before us. And in that, we go, there's no way. I mean, it's huge. Look at it. Look at me. But these spies were never meant to compare themselves to the giants. They were meant to compare the giants to their God. Things change when we start to compare our giants to our God. When the fear that we carry is placed under the authority of who God is. See, fear leaves us paralyzed. Fear left the people of God paralyzed for 40 years. We won't move if we live in fear. We will be static. Our identity gets shaped by that moment of fear. We are self-focused in the moment of fear. Look at this pandemic. Got to get out, got to get toilet roll. Got to look out for myself. Got to cans of beans. I mean, if you hoarded toilet roll, well done. I'm sure it came in handy. But toilet roll, got to get it. Just self-focused. Fear, self-focused. It's a natural reaction, fight or flight. We become self-focused. We seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. We must have seen the same to them. See, when God isn't shaping our identity, anything and everything else will. We'll shape it ourselves. Look at me. Woe is me. I'm like a grasshopper. And yet the the spies that return to Joshua, those two, they've been reminded who God is. He's the one that parted the sea. He's the one that's been before us and goes behind us and surrounds us. He's the one that's causing the enemy to crumble in fear. See, what shapes our identity is key to how we live as a community of faith. Is God shaping the identity of who we are? Because in that, we can step out in faith. Does it mean there's no fear? Of course it doesn't, but it just means fear is not paralyzing us. See, these two spies come back and they understand They're not caught up with a a temporal identity. They realize their eternal citizenship. This is who we are in God. We can step into this. We don't get it. We don't understand it. We don't see it all, but we can step into it. But for Moses, of those 12, 10 come back. And 10 of them say, no way, not a chance. During the majority of the stuff I say to myself, 10, 10 things out of 12, probably more than that, that I say to myself disqualifies me. Says there's no way absolutely no way look at my life look at who I am there's no way I've got a right or the ability to step into any of this stuff and I need to be reminded that there is a bigger story of who God is and we're invited to step into that story we're invited to be part of that story because when we do we start to see who God is and we start to realize who we are and we say come on we can do this God you can do this you could even use us to do this that's exciting Church, I just wonder what it could be like for people to get a glimpse of who God is and live in the reality of who he is and start stepping into the land. 
But can you start to play? We're going we're to finish. And I, I just wonder, can we stand together if you're willing? We're going to draw things to a close right now. And I'm just going to allow God just to do some ministry for the next five or so minutes. And then we'll draw things to a close. You see, what we, what we see with these spies is that they step into what they think is enemy territory. They step into that which they think is devoid of God. You know what? We love being in church together, but when we go out, it's just so dark. It's just so hard. My workplace, God could never be in my workplace. My family. Great Uncle Billy. Cool, God will never get him. We start to live by the story of brokenness and we start to live by the, the darkness in the world around us and we complain about a dark world and we don't realize that God has called us to shine brightly. And when we step into the place that we think God could never be, do you know what? He surprises us. And he's already there. These spies go out to spy a land that they think is enemy territory. And do you know what they discover? God's already there. God's gone before them and God has been stirring the heart of the least. The ones they thought, never. See, as we step out as a church, as we step into all that God is calling us to be, we need to know that God goes before us. That person who you think in your workplace has got the hardest heart, start to pray over them that God would go before and soften. Those streets that you think, oh, I've got to be really careful. Just don't do anything. Don't, don't speak to my neighbours. Dare we believe that God could be going before us? As you go out in your jobs, whatever it is that you do, that God goes before you. Isaiah 52 verse 12 says, the Lord is going before you. The God of Israel is your rear guard. God's character never changes. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. That is who he is. That is who he is right now. It's who he was. It's who he is. It's who he will be. As you go out, he goes before you. And he's also got your back. And so as a people of God, we can step out. We can start to scout out the land. And I sense, I don't sense God is calling us that we're in a season to cross over. There's a work of preparation that has to happen before we cross over. And there's different things that God is going to start to deal with. God had to deal with the identity of his people. Get this slavery out of them in order for them to step into the freedom. He had to remind them who he was and who they were in light of who he is. Some preparation work. Consecrate yourselves. But before all of that, Joshua says, I'm going to take some initiative and start to scout out the land. Let's see where you've gone. Let's see what you're doing. I want to say, church, we've got some permission to scout out the land. To start to see what God is doing. To start to offer to pray for someone. Just start praying for somebody. See what God starts to do. I think we're getting stories through our connect groups. of, of We've just started praying for this person and look what God's doing. God started healing them and they've become more open and now they're coming to us to ask for prayer. And our workplaces might just start to experience a saturation of the love of Jesus, our families. We've got testimony in this church of people who prayed for their loved ones for years. They started to scout out the land. Dare I believe that God, you're already there stirring, doing something. I think we might be surprised. As a church, I just want to pray for two groups of people in this moment. Maybe, maybe you, you sense there's a stirring in your heart.